The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Welcome and uh, to IMC. My name is Gil Fronstall. And since people are still coming in, I'll start kind of slowly with what's least important. Uh, but one thing I should say is that uh, if you have trouble hearing, uh, there's hearing system devices. There's uh, on the counter, just around the, around the wall there, there's these little devices that Kate's holding up. And, um, and, uh, and sometimes I say the most profound things in a quiet voice. <laughs> so uh, if you have trouble hearing now, you might want to you know, use one of those. And uh, so my name is Gil Fronstall. And I'm one of the two primary teachers here at IMC. And I've been uh, part of this community, meditation community, for 26 years now. Started in 1990. Uh, uh, the group preceded me, started about 1986 or so. <clears throat> and then when I came um, to the area to study at Stanford, I went to, came to study Buddhist studies, religious studies, with a specialty in Buddhism. I had, uh, by that time, I'd spent over 10 years of my life in Buddhist monasteries and uh, meditation centers. And, uh, and so I was asked uh, to uh, uh, take leadership of the small group that uh, then slowly grew. We st- uh, when I came, it was in Palo Alto, and then it slowly grew. And uh, in 2001, we bought this building here and moved in in 2002, and we've been here ever since. And um, it's been a remarkable journey. To be been, I never thought I'd be in the area. It wasn't my plan. But uh, it's been such a remarkable opportunity and such a remarkable uh, good fortune to be able to uh, teach mindfulness, teach meditation, teach Buddhism to um, a large commu- uh, group of people who have come through here uh, and have an audience for this and share this with this a wonderful one of the favorite things I like to do is to teach this intro class. And um, even though I've taught it many times before, uh, I'm sharing something that I love deeply, something that I find tremendous value in, and something that um, I think one of the reasons I don't tire giving the intro class is that I continue to follow new, f- find new gems, new treasures in the practice of mindfulness. Even though I've been doing it now for 40 years, it just seems to still come alive and open up and, and become richer and richer for me. So, um, so I, you know, I love sharing that. And uh, partly giving this intro class is also a time for me to kind of um, discover something new about mindfulness. I'm always hoping to surprise myself when I give this, this class, that uh, something about what I've internalized or understood will come out in a new way. So we'll see how it goes uh, this time around. And um, the, um, the way that this class, this five-part series is offered, it's, a, it's an introduction to mindfulness meditation, and uh, both as a basic skill that can be used in meditation, but also it's, uh, the idea of all the ideas that I teach in meditation apply pretty much equally with daily life. And uh, as many of us know, that mindfulness now has gotten quite popular. Uh, when I started teaching, it, very few people knew about it. And now, you know, I'm, you know it's just, just everywhere. And um, so I'm very happy about that and very happy to offer the mindfulness teaching um, to stand alone by itself. 
something applicable in our daily life. Um, and, uh, but it is a Buddhist uh, practice, and IMC is a Buddhist uh, center. And uh, so you'll pr- probably get periodically as I teach some references to Buddhism or the Buddha. And if that's not to your liking, you can just leave that part out. Uh, it's, uh, quite o- it's offered optionally though. Uh, I think the mindfulness practice itself is quite effective and powerful. And uh, mindfulness does not need Buddhism whatsoever, but Buddhism needs mindfulness. So, you know, the two, for me, the two come together somewhat. Um, and then uh, as mindfulness develops, especially in the Buddhist context, <clears throat> it develops into what's called <clears throat> insight. So mindfulness is very simply the ability to see clearly. And as we start seeing more and more clearly, then we have insight. And so we're the insight meditation center. And so one of the names for what we do is not mindfulness meditation, but it's insight meditation because the insight is the consequence of developing mindfulness. And I'll talk more about that the last class, the insight part. So mindfulness is a very, uh, uses a very simple capacity that each of us has, uh, the, the capacity to be aware, to pay attention. And it's perhaps a little bit of an irony that I ended up being a mindfulness teacher, given how often my mother told me as I was growing up, Gil, pay attention. And, uh, and so now, you know, I'm making up for it now. And um, so it's a simple capacity. There's nothing particular mystical or Buddhistic about attention. Uh, and what we're doing is taking something we all have and use all the time, kind of constantly, and developing it so it becomes a conscious part of our life, <clears throat> so that it becomes um, stronger, and so it becomes a strength that we bring with us the strength of uh, being present in our lives, the strength of being clearly aware as we go through our lives, and the strength of being able to see what's actually happening on deeper levels than we can if we're on the surface of our life or not really paying attention. Uh, One of the reasons why many people in the modern world like mindfulness is the way it helps to de-stress us. And it's, it's very helpful to bring calm, it's helpful to deal with a lot of stress, helpful to deal with certain pains, um, even certain illnesses, they say now, there's a lot of clinical studies about the value of mindfulness uh, for all kinds of uh, you know, health reasons. I, can't, I don't like, as a Buddhist teacher, I don't like to say much about the health benefit of mindfulness because I'm not qualified. Um, but uh, what I can say is that um, maybe mindfulness won't help any of your ills, perhaps, but uh, it'll make you much uh, more at ease in having your ills. And you'll find a way of coming to terms with it, uh, comes come reconciliation or some kind of um, uh, heart or psychological healing in relationship to some of the physical things that might be going on or some of the psychological challenges you have. Uh, we learn to shift our relationship to many of the challenges we have in our lives. And so the challenges, they exist as events um, but they're no longer our challenges. They're just something we can hold in a very open, compassionate, clear heart. And we're not struggling with them or fighting with it. So, my, so uh, and in, in the Buddhist context, mindfulness is the key practice that leads to awakening, to liberation, spiritual freedom. And the spiritual freedom in Buddhism is defined by a heart that ha- is not constricted or limited by anything. And so that kind of unrestricted, 
unshackled mind is uh, one of the definitions of liberation. You don't have to be interested in that, but I just wanted to mention that um, it's quite powerful, the practice of mindfulness. If you get into it, if you kind of start applying it in your life, you'll find many, many benefits. And it would be great if, like me, after 40 years, you're still finding the benefits, still finding it coming alive and, and uh, supportive of your life. So uh, what we'll do here for these five weeks is um, I'll give you instructions for mindfulness meditation. As I said, many things I'll say are applicable outside of meditation as well. So the line between meditation and outside is pretty porous, pretty open. But the focus kind of will be on meditation. And um, the instructions will be given sequentially. So um, uh, uh, each week will be a foundation for the next week. And it'll grow like that as we go along. And um, the goal is to have some sense of how to be mindful, how to be aware in an effective way, useful way, uh, in all areas of our life. So that no areas of our life are left out of what we can bring this clear, non-reactive attention to. Um, but it's too much to say, you know, okay, just be aware, you know, of everything. Uh, that just leaves people confused. So uh, what works better is to do it um, step by step. And so today we're going to talk about mindfulness of um, breathing, the basic kind of uh, um, uh, structure of meditation practice, the posture you have, the basic approach, the attitude, um, and the very basic instructions of beginning with the breathing. And then next week, kind of like concentric circles maybe, next week we uh, expand out to include the body. And uh, it turns out in Buddhism that um, being embodied is really important. Uh, so that really kind of feeling and sensing and living in your body rather than disconnected is the avenue for how awareness develops. Many people associate awareness with maybe with the mind and the intellect, paying attention. Um, but in a sense that the deeper or the fuller awareness we can develop, fuller mindfulness, is almost a kind of bodyfulness, that the awareness kind of radiates or comes out of our whole being, not just from the control tower in the head. And, um, and then the third week, uh, building on that, I'll talk about mindfulness of emotions. Emotions are a very important part of our life, and uh, some of them are quite difficult for people, and there's a lot of uh, beauty in our emotions, and it's wonderful to learn how to bring mindfulness to it. Turns out it's easier to be mindful of emotions if you know how to be mindful of uh, the body. So that's why it follows. And then um, the fourth week, we'll do mindfulness of thinking. And thinking is an important part of life. It's, you, know, you can't do without it. Um, but a lot of thinking that we do is sometimes unproductive, and sometimes it's actually counterproductive for our lives. And so to get a handle on this inner world of thoughts that uh, goes on for us is uh, really helpful in many, many ways, and certainly can reduce a lot of stress if you have a wise relationship to your thoughts turns out it's a lot easier to pay attention to thoughts if you know how to be mindful of emotions. It's a lot easier to pay attention to emotions if you know how to be mindful of the body. It's a lot easier to be mindful of the body if you know how to be mindful of your breathing. So it's a very nice kind of process of kind of going like this. And then the f- fifth week I'll talk about um, much more about bringing this whole practice into daily life, uh, how it develops insight, and, uh, and some of the ways of continuing with the practice. So that's the plan of how it's going to go. Uh, usually these talks are recorded, so it means that uh, you can listen to it again. 
or if you miss a class, uh, you can listen to it uh, that way. Um, also, uh, previous of these courses are online, uh, and you can listen to past courses too. You can um, listen ahead, you know, and, and then compare what I say here with what I said in the previous class. Um, and there, uh, you'll find that through uh, IMC's website on the menu, there's a, um, a link to what's called Audio Dharma, and audiodharma.org is where we host that hosts all of our. Um, talks that are given here. So today I talked to someone who has been doing mindfulness for a while and he said that um, um, it was discovering mindfulness was something like it was one of the first times in his life where he discovered how to be non-judgmental to himself, how to hold himself in a non-judgmental way and that uh, mindfulness was kind of one of these uh, uh, practices that uh, you can't do wrong. So in that combination of a practice that d- doesn't judge you, holds you in non-judgmental ways, and you can't do wrong, I mean, what can, what can you do wrong then? And that's a very important to say at the onset, because many people, when they start doing meditation, will conclude that it's really hard. Um, because you set yourself at a task to be present, be in the present moment, and the mind doesn't want to be present. Or all kinds of thoughts, storms come up, or emotional feelings come up, and there's a swirl in there, and it's kind of hard to stay present and not be pulled off into the swirl. And, um, and so, but, to, but that's to be expected. And it's not a problem that it happens, it just begins, it's a, it means that um, it's, the practice kind of begins with that. And the idea that we can always start the practice fresh, any moment. You, it doesn't, the mindfulness doesn't carry with it what happened five minutes ago or one minute ago. So you might carry with you, oh, I did really badly before, or I did great five minutes ago, and I'm going to do that again, or that was terrible, and I should never meditate again. And uh, This idea of carrying the past with you into the present is just a burden. And so this non-reactive, open, very kind of forgiving or accepting practice of mindfulness is ready to receive you and hold you fresh as you are each moment. So what happened five seconds ago is not that important. What's important is that now you have a chance to connect, to be mindful, be aware of what's now. So mindfulness is the practice of bringing careful attention or bringing attention to whatever is happening in the present moment in such a way that as we're present, we're not um, uh, being pushed around by experience. We're not caught in them. We're not grabbing onto things. We're not running away. Uh, we're not getting lost in fantasy or distractions. We're learning to stay present. As we learn to stay present with our awareness in the present moment, a lot of the forces of stress that we have begin to dissipate. Because a lot of the stress we carry with us, a lot of the tension we carry along, have a lot to do with what we're thinking about and our preoccupations and concerns. Um, A lot of the emotions that are stressful often have a lot to do with our concerns, our preoccupations with the past, about the future, about fantasy, about all kinds of things. They're usually things which are not present here and now. And so as we learn not to kind of be caught in those, but be present here for what's here, uh, a lot of that stress begins to kind of fall off and fall away. 
And uh, it's fairly common for people who get a hang of how to do this to find that it's very calming in their life. And then they can bring that calm with them into their lives. So the way that... um, um, So uh, uh, we're going to talk about meditation. And so the basic elements of meditation, and then we'll do a little bit. And each time we come here, we'll do one or two short sessions of meditation. So you get a hang and feel of it. I thought how to do it. And certainly it's my hope that during these five weeks that you would do some of this meditation practice at home during the week. You don't have to. Um, I think there are uh, many people who come to this intro class who don't meditate whatsoever, (laughs) maybe never, (laughs) except when they come here. Uh, But uh, there's a lot of uh, wisdom teachings that I'll be offering you, a lot of kind of wise understandings of your life and what goes on with different parts of your life that some people take those wisdom teachings and they can use them as they go through their lives. However, if you meditate every day for these five weeks at home, you'll understand so much better what I'm teaching. You'll start kind of making it your own and you can build on the instructions much better. So whether you do or not is up to you, but I'd encourage you to because I think you'll just get more out of this in that way. So to start with meditation, the meditation we like to t- I like to talk about posture because, um, uh, as they say in AA, bring your body and the mind will follow. So you want to bring your body into the present moment. So your body is a real support. If you, um, I was once on a retreat, and I was pretty mindful, very present, mindful. I was actually quite, quite you know, satis- not satisfied, but I was doing pretty well. And then um, after some time, I thought, you know, I've been sitting meditating like this for days on end now. I think it's probably good for my body if I went and just meditated in a more restful posture. So the retreat center had a very nice couch. So I leaned back into the couch, soft couch, it was great. And that turned out to be the fastest meditation I've ever gone through. You know, because uh, as soon as I leaned back in, I felt, felt asleep. And then when I didn't wake up until the bell rang. So, um, so you want to have a posture that supports you to be alert, but also allows you to relax. And uh, there have been stu- physiological studies about what posture helps people relax the most deeply. And the two apparently most relaxing postures to be in is in the corpse posture in yoga and the cross-legged uh, lotus posture, sitting upright like this. There's something about the balanced spine, the aligned body, that allows the musculature to relax very deeply. That's, I think it's even deeper if you can be self-supporting with your back than if you're using a backrest. You would think, you know, but intuitively, using a backrest is more relaxing. In the short term it might be, but to avail yourself of some of the deeper capacity of letting go, sometimes it's easier to do it if you're self-supporting upright. So the idea is to have a posture that's intentional for intending to be present and here. So I'm going to talk a little bit about sitting on the uh, cross-legged, and then I'll talk about sitting on the chair. You're welcome to do either one. Uh, The classic one in Buddhism is like the Buddha is to sit cross-legged, uh, on the floor. And uh, Buddhist uh, mythology, or lore, says that ne- the next Buddha that's going to come along 
is going to be sitting in a chair. So if you're a chair sitter, you'll be in good company. The, um, um, so if you're sitting on the floor, I actually recommend you don't actually sit cross-legged, uh, uh, but rather keep one leg in front of the other. Sometimes it's called Taylor fashion, sometimes it's called Burmese fashion. And, um, and the reason for not crossing, physically crossing your legs is that it puts a lot of torque on the knees or the ankles. And unless you're very open in the hips, that um, uh, most people it puts an undue strain on the legs. And then you have to deal with the strain as you're sitting there. And this is actually, um, also sitting this way is more balanced. As soon as you put your one foot up like this, like half lotus, it's nice to sit this, in some ways it's nice to sit this way, but it, um, it stretches one side of the body more than the other. It's not quite as balanced. So to sit this uh, uh, Taylor fashion is a quite nice for people who can do it. And, um, and the idea is to sit on a cushion. Um, so, you have, so you're elevated. The more elevated your body is, the easier it is to get your knees down. And ideally your knees would be on the ground. Uh, and so you have to kind of experiment with getting the right height. People who are tight in the hips generally have to sit higher. People who are very loose and open can sit lower. Um, and, um, and so you, you, we have lots of cushions and later on you can experiment with different heights and see what works for you. If you can't get your knees down, then uh, you can get something, uh, some other pillow and, um, and put it underneath them so they're supported, one on, one on each side if you need to. And uh, that way they're not being stretched too un- unduly. Um, and um, the usual way we have is to sit on these round cushions and you, you kind of sit on the front third of them. Um, but there's other ways of sitting too. There's what's called the half moon and the crescent moon pillow. I think you have one there. Can you hold it up there, that great green one? So you see. And some people find that works really nicely because it spreads the weight of your b- bottom in a broad kind of way down to your legs. Some people find it's, it's kind of nicer to do that. Uh, it's also possible to sit on the floor, but to do so on your knees. And if you take one of these round cushions and put it upright like this, you can put it between your, your feet and then sit down like that. And for people who can't sit cross-legged, this allows them to be low. And one of the advantages of sitting cross-legged on the floor or sitting this way is your center of gravity is low. Cross-legged, it's even lower. And the lower the center of gravity, the lower your kind of mass is, the easier it is to kind of let go and relax. So there's, there's some kind of physical benefits in sitting this way. And then if um, an alternative to this uh, is the bench. And Tom, can you hold up the bench that people? We have a whole bunch of benches in that little cubby hole there. And uh, so you would, you would sit on that. And uh, it goes above your lower legs. And then you sit. And that's nice for some people. Um, and then if you're sitting on, um, if you're sitting on, the, on the chair... Uh, what you want to do with your lower half of your body is to uh, sit in such a way that your feet are planted on the, on the floor or on some kind of support. Uh, and your legs would not be crossed. So there's more intentional and clear and strength if you're kind of both down, firmly down. And the classic instructions to have the legs more or less parallel to each other uh, with the, 
ideally with the knees slightly lower than the hips. If the knees are higher than the hips, it pushes out the lower back and that can put a strain over time. Um, and we have a variety of cushions that you can use, including some um, firm, firm foam cushions, I think. Anyway, to put under your feet if your feet don't reach the ground. Like, uh, well, that's a little different thing. But uh, um, anyway, you want to have some support if you need to. And if you uh, are tall and want to sit in a chair, then there's uh, various support cushions that you can put. Tom has a wedge. It's one option that you can use, but other cushions to get some height for you. Um, some people like to have, when they're sitting on a chair, to have their legs out wide, to have a wide space of support, and that also can work well. Um, either way, whether you're sitting on the floor or sitting in a chair, it's nice, an interesting thing to do is to take your hands on either side of your hips and push yourself off the chair, off the floor or the cushion, and so you're lifting your chest up, lifting yourself almost off the cushion and chair, and then as you re- let go of your arms, let your shoulders roll back. If you do that, you probably feel more open in the chest, and your shoulders roll back, and it makes it easier to breathe, and it's a more alert posture to sit in. With your um, hands, you can do anything where they're basically doing the same thing. I usually meditate with my hands face down, um, on you know close to my knees. Uh, some people do it face up. Some people will. Um, the classic way is to have the hands together, one on top of the other, um, uh, in front of you. So it make, makes kind of like a nice uh, circle here. And um, whatever is comfortable for you. But what you want to be careful for is that the way, how you're positioning your hands is not pulling your shoulders forward. And so if you have your hands all the way down on your ankles like this, it might have a strong tendency to start pulling you forward. And, um, or if you have your, your hands too far forward over the edge of your knees, it might also kind of pull you forward. And so you want to have your hands pulled back a little bit so that the elbows are kind of lined up with the edge of your ribcage here. And, um, uh, and, or if you have it, um, your hands together in front of you, uh, you can put something like this to support them. And so they're held up a little bit and there's maybe a little bit less tendency to collapse. And then um, some people will um, have a lot of tension in their shoulders. Uh, nowadays, especially with computers and the way people live, there's a lot of t- uh, being held up a lot. This. And so that tension can show itself when we're sitting this way. And sometimes it's a little way, a little trick to alleviate some of that and kind of get the alignment better for the shoulders is to take one shoulder up to your ear and then while it's still up, you stretch your arm forward as far as you can and then a big circle up to the ceiling and then around with a hand pointing towards the ceiling and put it back on your thigh. And if you do that, you might find this shoulder that you just did a little more open and relaxed and kind of rotating back. So the trick is to first bring the shoulder up and then while it's up, forward, and then all the way around. And any of these things that helps you kind of be more open and upright uh, supports being attentive, being alert. Your body's kind of being alert. Then you want to have your head 
squarely on your shoulders. And where else would it be? Um, the head is actually fairly heavy. And so if you're not lined up, uh, kind of on the center of gravity there, um, so you're leaning forward, your muscles have to hold you up uh, all that weight. And if you do that for a long time, the muscles in your neck and back get tired. But if you can keep your head you know, aligned properly on the spine, then uh, the, the musculature, the tendons, the bones will keep it kind of uh, much easier. Some people will turn their head. Some people tip their, their chin up. Um, some people are looking down. All these puts a build a strain over time and limits, and kind of physically limits how easy it is to develop a balanced, open mindfulness. So you want to kind of make sure your head is balanced. And one way to do it is you try your best and, um, and then is to, at some point during meditation, is to open your eyes and see where you're looking. And if you're looking at the ceiling, that probably means you're tipped up too much. If you're looking at your ankle, you know, or if you're looking, you know, over to the side, it shows you you're not quite lined up. And in our tradition of meditation, uh, we usually instruct people to close their eyes in meditation. It's optional, and actually some of our, my colleagues will teach people to keep their eyes open slightly. And our schools of Buddhism, they emphasize open eye meditation. Um, if it's uh, equal to you, then I encourage you to close your eyes. If you prefer keeping your eyes open, it's fine. The instructions then are to keep your eyes kind of half open, looking down at about 45 degrees, with a f- kind of focus you'd use to look at a mountain far in the distance. So you're not really looking at anything, you're just kind of, you know, just loose, relaxed focus, and now uh, the eyes are open. So those are the basic elements of meditation posture. One little warning about it, if you're especially sitting this way, um, sometimes that the legs, if you're not used to it, will go numb and um, you know, fall asleep. And generally that's fine. Uh, it's not dangerous unless you stand up too quickly. Once in my career, and, uh, I heard about a woman who stood up too quickly when her leg fell, fell asleep and uh, she fell and she broke one of the little bones in her, in her foot. Um, <clears throat> so if, you're, if your leg goes asleep, make sure you massage it first or shake it or something and don't get up until you have your sensation back. Um, very rarely, um, if the feet, feet go numb and it takes more than three or four minutes for the sensations to come back, then the chances are that you're pinching a nerve and you're not interfering with the blood flow. And you never want to pinch a nerve. So if it, uh, if it takes that long for the sensation to come back, then when you go, go to meditate next time, be very careful you don't sit in that way again. Be very careful that kind of numbness doesn't build up. Um, you know, change your posture, do something to stop it from happening. Um, you can make lasting damage if you, do near, uh, if you don't move. <clears throat> in, in our kind of mindfulness tradition where we're tra- trained to pay careful attention, I've never known anyone to have this particular form of uh, damage. But in other schools of uh, Buddhist meditation I've practiced in, where the focus was not so much on being mindful, but on being concentrated. So you're really focusing on one thing and ignoring everything else. Uh, there I've known people who've damaged themselves and uh, caused sciatic problems or nerve damage of some kind. So it's rare, very rare, but it's worth telling you about. 
So those are the basic about posture. So in a few minutes, we'll do our first meditation session. Uh, do you have any questions about the posture before we start? Or what I said? Yes. I was wondering if you're in a chair, yeah. do you recommend resting your body in mm-hmm. that your posture should be uh-huh. forward? Great. So if you're in a chair, if, if, you're, if your um, uh, body allows it, uh, ideally you wouldn't use the backrest. You would sit away from the backrest so you can have the benefits of being upright. Some people have to use a backrest, and that's fine if that's the case. If you have to use it, uh, the best way to get us, uh, is to have support really low down. If you get really strong support, firm support in the lower sp- uh, spine, then the upper spine can be self-supporting. Um, another thing, some people feel that some people need to have full support the whole length of their back. And the interesting thing to do then is to take some kind of like a towel or some kind of, uh, uh, you know, um, a coil or kind of cylinder and put it down uh, vertically along the spine and then lean against it this way so that it pushes your spine in and your shoulder blades go back, opens your chest a little bit and that can make you feel more alert if that works for some people. And then there's all kinds of variations of how to sit and meditate. Um, So people have all kinds of uh, conditions with their body and so there's lots of different ideas of how to support different body conditions. So you can come and talk to me and I can make other advice. Uh, my, my co-teacher who I teach with, Andrea Fella, she um, uh, does a fair amount of her meditation lying down and, um, that because she has back problems. And so she's been a very successful meditator lying down. Some people do a lot of meditating standing up. So there are all kinds of ways of doing it. And, so if you have trouble with any of the posture that I've told you now, let me know and we can talk about it. So we'll take um, just a minute to stand and stretch. If some of you want to sitting in chairs want to try sitting on the floor, you can get a cushion and, and then we'll do our first meditation.
So, <clears throat> the core of mindfulness meditation <clears throat> is to notice what's happening. <clears throat> and if you notice that you're not present, you're doing the practice at that moment. If you're not present, if you're lost in thought, really lost, um, then you don't have a problem because you're lost. But once you notice that you are lost, that there's still no problem because now you're present. So if you have enough presence of mind to be critical of yourself because you weren't doing it right, you can't do it, you think. If you, if you have enough presence of mind to notice that it's not going well, you have enough presence of mind to do this practice. Just to be present and notice what's happening. Oh, it's like this. Oh, it's like this now. My mind is racing. My mind is sleepy. You know, my mind is distracted. But, and if you, you just notice that, you're kind of, that's kind of really all it is. But, um, but in a heightened way, in a clear way. Now, to help with this, it's really good to settle down, to develop some calm and stability in the mind. And uh, one of the classic ways of doing that is to do meditation on breathing. Breathing is one of the great tools for calming down and centering the mind and supporting the mind to let go of all its concerns it has, all its thoughts, and kind of arrive and be here in the present moment. And so we'll start with meditation on breathing. But remember, even though the focus now is on breathing, if you can't stay with your breathing, the practice is to notice what's happening. So if you're successful at staying with the breath, great. You're doing it well. If you can't stay with the breath, but you notice that you can't, great. You're doing it well. You can't do it wrong. Okay? And then we do it again. Notice again. And then we do it again. And this continual doing it again is kind of the art art of mindfulness. So, taking a posture that uh, is alert and calm. And that means usually sitting a little bit straighter with your spine than you normally would. And then gently closing your eyes. And then beginning by taking a few long, slow, deep breaths. And as you breathe in deeply, feel your rib cage stretch and expand. And as you exhale, feel the torso, the rib cage, relax and release and settle in. And then let your breathing return to normal.
And then spend a few moments scanning through your body to see if there's any obvious places that you can relax. So you might start with your forehead and eyes. And as you exhale, to soften, relax your forehead, your eyes. There's nothing you need to be looking at when you meditate, so the eyes can rest. It might be possible to soften, relax around the shoulders, shoulder blade area. As you exhale, relaxing the shoulders. might be possible to relax the belly, soft belly, belly hangs forward, belly drops down towards the pelvic cavity. As you exhale, see if you can relax all the other parts of your body. Maybe your, your body globally can soften. Within the body, as part of your bodily experience, notice how the body experiences breathing. Notice what parts of your body move as you're breathing. Parts of your body are engaged with breathing. And then bring your attention to that part of your body where breathing is most compelling. So it could be the experience of the belly rising and falling, 
or the chest <clears throat> rising and falling. Or the sensation of air as it goes in and out through your nostrils. Or it could be that you're aware of the full breath, breath body. So let yourself be present for where breathing is easiest to experience or most compelling. And then notice the rhythm of breathing. The coming and goings of the in-breath, the out-breath. The alternation of breathing in and breathing out. And feeling the physical texture or sensations as you exhale. The movement of the chest or the belly or the air in the nostrils. If you have trouble finding the sensations of breathing in your body, you can put your hand on your chest or on your belly and you might feel the movements better that way. Each time you exhale, let go of the thoughts that have arisen. 
with the end of the exhale, <clears throat> let your thoughts fade away, float away like thought bubbles. And breathing is always in the present moment. And so we're using breathing <clears throat> as a way of establishing a more continuous connection to the present, to hear. So the mind can relax, center itself, let go of the past and future. So it's just here with a simple experience of breathing. And then to help you stay with your breathing, you can very quietly in your mind have the thought in as you breathe in, out as you breathe out. Soft, soft whisper that's there mostly to encourage you to stay there with your breathing. So you're there for each in-breath and each out-breath.
And if anything is happening that makes it challenging to be with your breathing, you can let go of your breathing and just notice what that is. Kind of step back and maybe get a bird's eye view of it. Oh, this is what's happening. See if there can be a clear awareness, clear recognition. Oh, this is what's happening. And after it's been acknowledged, maybe you can start again with your breathing. And we'll continue for one more minute. And in this last minute, see if you can be gently, but committedly, with every breath. And then to end the sitting, you can take a few, couple of deep breaths again. As you breathe in deeply, feeling your body. Feel your body against the chair or the cushion and that you're here in this room. And then when you're ready, you can open your eyes.
So mindfulness meditation, the way that we teach it here at IMC, begins with breathing. And uh, meditating on breath is a way of calming down or stabilizing the mind so that it, it can be in the present moment. Sometimes we talk about it arriving into the present because usually the mind is somewhere else. And so to come back into the present and, uh, and then to have an anchor in the present. And the, sometimes we talk about the breathing being an anchor. A ship which is not anchored is going to drift off the currents and the winds and just kind of wander off uh, or, you know, uh, float onto shore and crash. So uh, we don't want to get lost out at sea or crash against the shore. So sometimes we want to be anchored in the present moment and that anchor is can be the breathing. So we stay, it kind of keeps us in the present moment. Um, and it also is a training to help us to relax the pull and tension of a lot of those thoughts that keep us spinning and pulling off and going away. Every time you come back to your breathing, you are uh, letting go of some of the momentum of distracted thoughts. Come back. And a lot of what meditation can be about is the movement of coming back to the breath. It doesn't matter how many times your mind gets lost. So don't get discouraged. What matters is how many times you come back. And the more opportunities you have to come back, <laughs> the better, I suppose. So, yeah, oh, good, I get to do it again, I get to do it again. And bit by bit, drop by drop, uh, the inner ecology, the mental ecology begins to shift. Bit by bit, there's not so much glue to our distracted thoughts. There's not so much pull towards them or preoccupation with them. And bit by bit, we kind of stabilize the mind so the mind is here. A mind which is stable and relaxed will be in the present moment. A mind which is tense and distracted won't be very present for what's going on. So we're trying to help ourselves be here. And the breathing is one of the ways to do that. Once we're kind of stabilized and we're here without the mind drifting off, then we begin to have access to a more uh, uh, clear form of awareness. An awareness that we can use to bring our attention to different aspects of our life without the mind wandering off getting lost in the thoughts, trying to comment about it or make analyze it or think about it and all this stuff. It just kind of sees it for what it is and uh, can be present and let it reveal its secrets to us, let it reveal what's really going on in a way that can't if we're not present. So the breath meditation is where we begin. So do you have anything you want to say about that meditation that we did? Any questions about it? Or you want to report a little bit what happened? In a room this many people, there's a wide range of experiences of how it goes, all of which are uh, permissible. But if you can use the mic, then everyone can hear. When you sense some physical discomfort, what do you do? Mm. Yeah. So when you have some physical discomfort, what do you do? If it's too uncomfortable, you're welcome to uh, change your posture. Or the, the, uh, the, what's called the rest posture in meditation, if you're sitting on the floor, is to put your uh, legs up, like knees up like this towards your chest and wrap your arms around your knees like this until you feel more rested and then you can uh, you know, sit again. Next week, I'm going to talk about mindfulness of the body 
And, and uh, then we'll talk about how to bring uh, mindfulness to discomfort. And discomfort can become the object of attention. And uh, you can develop a lot of mindfulness by learning to stay with it. And one of the things we're learning is how to not only notice something like discomfort, but to notice our resistance, our aversions, our fears, all the kind of ways we get distracted and caught up in relationship to it. And learn how to separate those out from each other so that we're not caught in the swirl of reactivity. And then it can be, it can be, it's possible to be comfortable with discomfort and actually be, be present for something that's very uncomfortable in your body and be very much at ease watching it and being with it. Um, so, th- so that's kind of like the aim of one of the, one of the benefits that come from mindfulness. Um, so next week I'll talk more about it. But for now, you're welcome to change your posture. Or what you can do uh, is ignore it, if you can. Uh, because when you're, in the first week, we're mostly focusing on, on breathing. Um, to whatever degree you, it makes sense, it's reasonable, you can just ignore everything but come back to your breath. Stay with your breath, ignore everything, come back. And then later, we'll talk about some of this in body, emotions, thoughts, and things like that. I saw a hand up there on the stage. Thank you. Can you eventually become so practiced in uh, the breathing meditation and, and the and the sense of presence of now that in the midst of a very uh, stressful day you can immediately call upon it to um, to center yourself immediately? Can you get that good? Well, immediately is maybe you know I don't know what you mean by that, but. But yes. Well, uh, let, me, let me just say this because uh, that actually is important in my question. Can you, within, if if you are well practiced in this, can you, within a few breaths, begin reducing uh, your confusion or stress uh, yes. effectively? I think yes, I can do that. Oh. You know, but uh, so you can do it, but. It, um, but some, sometimes, you know, it might take longer. And so one of the great things in the middle of a difficult day with a lot of stress is to, if you can, like at work or something, is excuse yourself to go to the bathroom. And a uh, few people question why you're going to the bathroom. And, uh, but you're going to breathe. <laughs> and sit there and just breathe for a while. And that uh, might take five minutes. And usually they give you five minutes to do what you have to do at the bathroom. And, um, and then after five minutes, maybe you've, not just two or three breaths, but maybe it takes five minutes to kind of get some difference. Over here, just another mic. Right in the back. And I had just two quick questions. One was I've always been confused about where you inhale from and where you Mm -hmm. exhale from. And then also, I have a tendency to always breathe shallowly. Uh Um, And so during meditation, when when I've heard, oh, now just start breathing naturally, those for me are typically shallow breaths. Uh And so I feel like that's not, I'm actually going for a deeper breath. So trying to be more conscious of it, that means I would have to exert effort and think about that Uh rather than, you know, breathe naturally. Uh So I always feel kind of torn about that. 
Yeah, I think that, um, <clears throat> I mean, the, the first question, generally we breathe in and out through the nostrils rather than through the mouth, so that's where the question is. And, um, and just, you know, just let it go in and out. And, um, and generally, we, in our particular tradition here, we don't, uh, for the most part, emphasize any particular way of breathing. Um, so you don't have a shallow breath, it's just as good as a deep breath for the purposes of developing mindfulness. Um, and, uh, and why some people breathe shallow, some people breathe deep, it's very variable from person to person. Some people hold their breath, but some people just breathe that way kind of naturally, it's what they do. And so the advantage of this kind of non-judgmental awareness that we're doing is you can just be content to notice the breath that you have. And it doesn't have to be some, some, some idea of what a deep spiritual breath is like. You know, you know we're, in, after all, we're in California. It should be a deep, relaxed, open, something special. Um, just notice what it is and be with it. And what happens is that over time, it shifts and changes. Part of the advantage of mindfulness awareness, it tends to um, imagine that your um, is uh, is that your fist is always in a fist. Your hands always in a fist, and um, and you go around. And you think that's all all that you're allowed to do, but then slowly uh, the fist begins to relax and open and open slowly, and you're surprised to discover that there's a palm in there. And it's actually kind of nice, and it's useful. It's soft, it's nice, you can stroke the cat, uh, you can do you know, all kinds of things with the, ha- the, the palm of the, ca- the hand. Um, uh, and so, if, you, if a person holds themselves chronically tense without paying any attention to, to it, it can persist. But if you bring awareness to it, it's hard for the hand to stay tight. It begins kind of, the more awareness we have, the more the tendency to relax. And some tensions, the physical tensions, take longer than others to relax. But some of them, like if you're just kind of tightened up someplace, you know, in the middle of a difficult day, and you bring awareness to yourself what's going on, you say, well, I'm really tense. You probably, you know, a lot of things, you you can just relax 90% of it pretty quickly just by noticing it. So what I'm trying to say is that the same with the breathing. If there's some way in which the breathing is held or tight, or a little bit contracted, constricted, that uh, if you bring awareness to it, it self-corrects. So it's possible you need no correction and just the way you breathe. And, um, and it's possible that uh, something loosens up with time. People who, when the mind gets very concentrated and you're really in the present moment in a strong way, the breath gets very, very um, subtle. And you could say shallow. It's a sign of being concentrated and calm. And sometimes it can get so, um, uh, so calm and so, so subtle, the breathing, that people uh, no longer uh, feel the breathing whatsoever. It's like the breathing has stopped. And uh, some people, when they have that happen, get afraid because you're supposed to die when you stop breathing. But meditators usually don't die from that. And uh, it just after a while, they get, oh, after a while, it kind of becomes kind of a cool thing. Oh, look, you know, look, mom, no breathing. <laughs> Yes, this we can use the mic. Oh yes, uh, you were first. I saw you. Go ahead. But then you can give it. I find it um, easy to notice momentarily a breathing sensation, for example, uh, 
chest rises when I breathe in. But that sensation, it lasts less than a second. That what? It lasts less than a second. Yes. And so as soon as it's gone, I I already think about what I'm going to have for dinner or (laughs) whatever. And so I find it difficult to maintain the awareness. Uh Um, Yeah, so it's a practice. And so the practice gets stronger, you do it, and you keep doing it, and it gets like a muscle that you develop. Um, But um, uh, but one exhale is made up of many sensations. And so the idea is to stay with the the whole kaleidoscope of sensations that come and go. And so you might want to get a little more interested in what's going on. Because it's possible you're just on the tip of the iceberg about the, what the experience of breathing is like for you. So you might want to kind of look a little more clear, carefully. And then maybe your mind won't, won't wander away so easily. And the other thing is what I, I suggested is uh, say in your mind, in, out, as you're breathing. And um, sometimes when I was in Burma practicing in Asia, the, the label they gave was to say, arising and falling. There's a chest or the belly rose, say rising and then falling when it exhale. And the idea was you use a very simple, subtle, innocent thought to help you stay present rather than letting your thoughts be idle. And idle thoughts will get in trouble. You know, will wander off. So you might try using a very simple note like an in. And some people find it helpful to draw it out. So the whole inhale, they say in. It's not supposed to be a mantra, just kind of, kind of just like stay there, stay there, stay with that until the end. Okay? So please. Thank you. So um, in terms of discomfort, uh, physical, and yeah. I suppose it applies to emotional at a later stage, um, you said, um, first you said just pay attention to it, and then you said, oh, you can ignore it. So those seemed contradictory, and uh, I find that if I ignore it, it just I keep getting distracted. Yeah. So the essence of this practice is to notice it, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that next week. The idea of ignoring it was only for this week, because if you can, because uh, the first week it's nice just to get really familiar with the breathing, develop, uh, kind of get comfortable with it, learn to be with it, come back to it, learn about this movement of letting go of your distractions, coming back and just kind of get a real hang of what a feeling for what it's like to be meditating on the breathing. Next week, I'll talk about the mindfulness of the body, including discomfort, and then I'll teach you how to bring careful attention to it so you're present for it. Does that make sense? And, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. My question was regarding uh, mantra, using a mantra. Yeah. I've been doing that for a while. Uh-huh. Is that different than what we're doing tonight? Uh-huh. Uh, well, I can, I, um, the, the uh, people who teach mantra might have a different answer than I'm giving you. But mantras are great. They're very they're helpful. But from a Buddhist point of view, <clears throat> mantras are more a concentration practice where you're focusing your attention on the mantra and you can get very calm and very concentrated that way. 
but you don't necessarily become uh, um, develop insight, the ability to see what's going on in your life. And so I've known people who've done mantras for years, and they've con- developed the capacity to get very concentrated, and sometimes very blissed out, very blissful. It's a wonderful thing to do. And then I've, they've come on retreats with me, and I've said, you know, why don't you stop doing the mantra here, while you're here, and why don't you just notice what's going on? And they'll come back to me and say, I had no idea. Uh, I've been distracting myself through the mantra from all my psychological mess that I'm in, or all this, how I'm wounded, or all my fears and all my preoccupations. And I've been holding it all at bay by staying with the mantra. And what we're trying to do here is to develop an awareness which doesn't hold anything at bay, doesn't exclude anything by focusing on something like a mantra, but has the ability to bring a wise attention to all areas of our life. So from a Buddhist point of view, we say that concentration practices exclude, mindfulness practice includes. And mindfulness meditation becomes fully mature when it's all-inclusive, when all areas of our life we know how to bring it under the view of attention. So we know how to bring our emotional life, our psychological life, our mental life, our social life. You know, it's all, we, all, we know how to be with it in a way that is uh, supportive and provides a degree of freedom and peace in the middle of whatever we're doing. Does that a satisfying answer? Yes. Actually, after two years trying, I haven't gotten anywhere with mantras. So, oh, so, so let's see how you go I here. I haven't done any harm. Okay. So we can do maybe one more. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to refer back to your example of how you sat back on a couch and kind of relaxed too much. Um, I've felt myself every once in a while, even though I'm upright and everything, you just drift off a little. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm wondering, in addition to posture, are there things we can do to kind of stay more alert and aware? Uh-huh. Thank you. Yes. So um, um, there's a variety of things you can do. Uh, one is uh, this idea of the mental noting, the in-out. That's sometimes you, you, using, doing something a little bit energetic in your mind that helps you keep the mind stay a little bit more alert. And, um, and there's a whole practice using mental notes. I'll talk more about it another time. But to, so you, you give the mind something to do. The other is, is just kind of a mental brightening. You kind of some mentally kind of, if, I, if you can understand what I'm saying here, brighten the mind, wake up the mind so there's more energy in it. Uh, more alert. The other thing is um, um, you can open your eyes slightly and then when the eyes are open you're less likely to fall asleep. And the last thing to say is that um, it's pretty common for people to be to get drowsy, be sleepy. A lot of people in this country have more need for sleep than they have for meditation. We're a sleep-deprived culture. And um, so that's part of the territory. Um, and especially in the evening like this, I would expect a good number of you are pretty sleepy and it's not uncommon for people to fall asleep. I've fallen asleep sitting up here sometimes, meditating. So it's a part of the territory. You don't have to be discouraged by it. Um, and uh, just part of it, notice that the best you can and, and try to wake up. But you don't have to feel bad about it. Remember, there's no, there's no mistakes here. Just notice what's happening best you can. So a few things about meditating at home. 
is it's nice to choose a time of day where you're most likely to be alert and most likely not to be interrupted by anything or tempted by anything. Classically, that's early in the morning when you first wake up. Some people can straight out of bed, they'll sit down to meditate. Some people will do it after their coffee. But the idea is, is, uh, you know, when it's quiet, you're less likely to get phone calls and emails or whatever. You can just kind of turn everything else off and just kind of practice. The... um, some people find it works better to do the end of the day or in the late afternoon or the middle of the day. Or just find a, figure out what's best for you. Um, there's an, there is an advantage to doing it in the same time every day because of the, power, the benefits of habit, uh, being accustomed to it, being familiar to it. Your whole body and mind kind of knows what's coming, it knows what's happening, it's kind of used to it, and so you don't have to, you can kind of settle into it, into the groove uh, easier. It's nice to do it in a, in a setting where you're not tempted by the things around you. So, um, you know, so to try to do it some corner of your bedroom or the house that you don't associate with a lot of other things. Uh, so your smartphone is far away. Uh, your computer is far away. TV is far away. Books are far away. Whatever, you know, so, just, so you're not tempted by things. So you just sit down and just, that's the place where you do it. Um, and then um, it's, um, you have to watch some of the tricks the mind has because you can, um, I, uh, people can be sitting meditating. They can think it's very important to meditate. They're really into it. This is like really significant. They want to give it a try. And 10 minutes into the meditation, it's just they're really clear that the freezer needs to be, de- be defrosted now. <laughs> you know, it has to be now. And um, so you have to be careful for the mind's tricks, you know, you kind of come up with a strong urge, you know, now it has to. And, um, and so just, you know, the idea is to put everything else aside and make, you know, just, unless the house is burning, just let everything else go and just kind of stay present. Um, uh, that you can get a, you know, now that many people have smartwatches, smart, uh, the, uh, the um, uh, smartphones, they, you can, they have, now they have timers that you can set to, you know, just, it's nice to have time your meditate, not time it, but to set a timer so that you don't have to think about when to stop, you know, should I get, and check every few minutes on your clock. Just set it for however long you're going to sit and then don't think about it until it goes off. Uh, a number of places, including on our website, there's um, uh, meditation timers that you can get. And you can put these meditation timers on your app, as an app and then they have a very nice bell you know, that you listen to rather than the smartphone kind of generic thing. And um, the um, um, and then uh, there is a handout, this kind of yellow paper that's there on the end of the stage, and that has uh, some of the basic instructions for today in print, so you can read about it. It also has some mindfulness exercises you can do in your daily life. Um, and uh, it might be helpful and interesting to do those to kind of learn how to bring more of this mindfulness into the rest of your life. And um, um, and also, it's, it says there, uh, I think the suggestion is you, for the first week you're going to sit 15 minutes a day. And then next week it's going to be 20 minutes. And then, and then 25 minutes. So you get to kind of slowly build to more. You're welcome to meditate more if you'd like. But, um, you know, 15 minutes is a good beginning uh, as you're getting a hang of it. 
And um, what else to say here? Um, yes? I have one question about the uh, mantra. Uh-huh. The uh, in out or om hum or om hum things like that could those even be distracting too? They Just can be. So the idea in out is not the. And I said it was. It's not a mantra. A mantra is something. A mantra is something you give yourself over completely to, and you let it fill your consciousness, so that you're not really noticing anything else. Uh, the in out is just a very soft whisper in the back of the mind. It's like five percent of your mental effort is going to say the in out. Ninety-five percent is to notice the inhalation, and exhalation, and so it doesn't become so it doesn't become automatic. It doesn't become a kind of a, it doesn't become a mantra. It doesn't become a, a primary focus of attention. And um, so I think that um, one thing that I usually say at the beginning that didn't occur to me today, I'll say it now, is that. Uh, we like to let, let people know that everything that we offer here at IMC is offered freely. That's part of our kind of religious approach to Buddhism is that we, the idea of generosity and offering freely. And that's a spirit which, which is given this, you know, well, it's offered freely, nothing's, no charge for it. And at the same time that all the expenses for IMC and um, the livelihood of the teachers like me who work here uh, it uh, comes from the generosity of people who make donations when they're here. And if you're inclined to, if you're interested in making a donation to support this, there's um, a box by the door. And there's one uh, slot that says operations, and that's for the running of the place. And there's um, and one that says um, teacher, and that's for whoever the teacher is for the event, particular event, like this event would be for me. And um, And so... That's for you. you nothing's expected because it is freely offered. Um, and at the same time, um, the, our very, you know, our ability to do what we do is because of the tremendous generosity of so many people that we're all very grateful for. And um, I ask you also, um, if you uh, please don't park in any of the parking lots around here except for ours. We only have space for three cars, the teeny one. But um, don't park across the street because they might tow your car in the nursing home across the street uh, or in the dentist parking lot next to us around around here. Uh, because it's um, even if it, they're closed and there's no... You think, oh, they're, they're closed and no one's using it. Uh, I can use it. Um, it uh, bothers them a lot. The, and um, and we, have to, we have to stay good, be good neighbors to the different businesses around here. And so um, we want to not... <clears throat> you know, we ask you don't park in those parking lots. And uh, so good. So anything, any last words? Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, so there is this uh, handout there. You can pick it up. Also, let me introduce to you a few people here who uh, have been long-time meditators and actually teach this course sometimes. And they're uh, here, um, Some, and, you know, Lots of experience. You can you can ask them any questions you have now, um, uh, because that's partly why they're here is to be available. So up here um, is Bruni with her red shawl, and um, and Tom is sitting back there with his clipboard, and and then Kate also, who's the manager. You can check in with her and ask her questions, and Hillary at the soundboard here. You can also check in with her 
and um, or I'll be up here too if you want to ask any questions. So thank you for coming, and I hope that uh, this mindfulness becomes uh, rich and valuable for you. <laughs>